We are continuing, uh, we're four weeks into this, a king's story. And David is one of those people that, that it almost doesn't matter who you are, you can find something to relate to it. Um, something about his life speaks to every person in the room. And, and last week we talked about how, how pain moves us and God uses it sometimes to position us into a place where, where our calling is. And, and it was kind of funny. I came down, sat in a chair and we use that illustration. And today I want to piggyback on that just a little bit because last week when we talked about first Samuel chapter 18, you might get the idea that, okay, that was David's pain and that was it. And, and God positioned him. But in the, in reality, that was just the beginning of it. And David would have a season of what I would call suffering before he uh, became king. And, and what we talked about last week was just the beginning of that. And he has several more encounters with Saul, several dangerous encounters, several, several circumstances that he's escaping uh, death. And, and God is faithful in all of those. So we're gonna read from 1 Samuel chapter 24 to start this off. 1 Samuel chapter 24, we'll start in verse one. No, we'll start in, yeah, start in verse one. 1 Samuel 24, verse one, you can see it on the screen, you can see it uh, in your phone app, Hope Community Church phone app, you can see it on the, on the Bible app. Say amen if you're ready. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse one, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hands and you shall do to him as you shall seem as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hurt my life to take it. You hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
As a proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After fleas? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your your hand. Father, we thank you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us. You'd help us in a circumstance everyone finds themselves in sooner or later. Lord, give us faith to be able to do the right thing no matter what our situation looks like. Help us to honor you and help us to become more like Christ in the midst of difficulties. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. David has been running. He uh, saw is now actively trying to kill him. There is no question about it. Uh, right after we read chapter 18 last week, we find out that Jonathan warns David, hey, the king, my father, is going to kill you. You're going to have to be careful. It's not good. And so Jonathan warns him. As a matter of fact, that happens a couple times. And then, and then there's a circumstance where, where David's own wife, the king's daughter, helps him escape. There's, there's, it's just chaotic. There's a time where Saul's on one side of a mountain and David's on the other side of the mountain. And they just miss each other. He is actively hunting David down. We get to chapter 24 and we realize that David's got a group of people now with him. There's a, it's kind of neat. The people that surround themselves with David are, the, are, are kind of the dejected people of the culture. And you find out that David is working with a group of people that no other king would ever pick. It's a little bit symbolic of the people Jesus would end up working with. The disciples, when when he would start his earthly ministry, he's picking fishermen and tax collectors and and zealots and and all kinds of people that no other rabbi would have ever picked. Matter of fact, after Jesus resurrected, you find that the teachers of law and the Pharisees are going, I don't even understand who these guys are. How did they get, they're just common people. So you see David surround himself with kind of the rejects of society and in chapter 24, there becomes a, like a collision between him and, and King Saul. All, only it's in a bit of an awkward circumstance. They're in the wilderness of En Gedi and they come, um, David had been hiding out in caves. Not living in Airbnbs, hiding out in caves. And what happens is, unbeknownst to David, David and his men are back deep in a cave. Saul's army is just outside the cave and Saul comes in to relieve himself. Now, I don't think he was taking a nap. Matter of fact, the, the root, the, the original word for relieve himself means to cover his feet. And, and there's an image there of covering up. There was a process you read in the Old Testament of, of how they dealt with waste, if you know what I'm talking about. So you get this picture of Saul going in the going in the cave to do the duty, and David's men realize your enemy is at the mouth of this cave. 
The guy who's been chasing us down, trying to kill us all. The guy who's been causing suffering in our life for no reason. The guy who's been delaying your promotion. The guy, the guy who's done all this to you, David. David, the guy who has made your life miserable, the guy who's caused suffering in your life is now in a vulnerable position. And uh, matter of fact, matter of fact, you, you could do something about this. It is very eye-opening. Don't forget that they, use, that they use God's words to convince David to do something. So here's a, here's a side note. There's, there's some people that will use scripture out of context just to get a result they want. Remember that. Remember that. That's why it's, that's why it's so important to, to understand the will of God. That's why it's so important to understand scripture so that we don't pick a portion of it out and try to, try to make it fit something that we want to do. They're, they're saying, hey, this fulfills what God said about you that he would defeat your enemies. This, this fulfills all that stuff. Just go ahead and take him out. So for a split second, David, it seems like David's gonna agree with them. He, he like ninja walks up to the front of the cave and is able to get close enough to Saul. Maybe Saul took off his robe. Maybe, I'm, I'm sure he had to disrobe a little bit to do what he was doing. But David's able to get close enough to him to cut a portion off the bottom of his robe. Now that's a whole nother story about symbolism of leadership and, and all that stuff. We talked about it last week about how symbolic it was that David was marrying Saul's daughter and about how uh, Jonathan gave him his armor. All, that, all those things were sim- symbolic. This is another moment. The robe of the king was symbolic of power and position and all those things. And David had just walked up and clipped a portion off of it. Saul has no idea it happened. David immediately has a, has a moment where his conscience grabs a hold of him. He immediately realizes that this was not the right thing to do. He works himself back into the back of the cave. Saul gets up and walks out of the cave. And David looks at his men and said, we shouldn't have done that. Now, could you imagine? Could you imagine the guys in the back of the cave who have pretty much been rejected by society but have given their lives to David, living in caves, being chased down by Saul, saw the enemy, the, the apparent, the, the not just apparent, the obvious enemy is out front in a vulnerable position. This is his chance they, they, they've rationalized in their head with scripture. This is what we should do. They've rationalized with their head with a promise from God. This is what we're supposed to do. And, and David walks out and he cuts the bottom of Saul's robe off, but goes back to the men and goes, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, I don't know about you, but tactically that doesn't sound like, like, what do you mean we shouldn't be doing this? You, this is the chance. This is for us to all be free. This is for you to be the king. What do you mean we shouldn't be doing this? And then David teaches them about what character looks like in those circumstances. And Saul cleans up, goes out of the cave, and David comes out of the cave a bit later and says, hey, I spared your life today. 
Why do we have to keep doing this? I spared your life today. Like it wasn't, I had the opportunity, but it wasn't the right thing to do. It's not my, that's not my position. God will avenge what you're doing to me. It's not my position to do, to do this today. So there's a couple things I wanna look at in those verses. Because I, I hate to tell you this, and, and we talk about this often here, and I don't preach about this because I'm suffering all the time, because I'm, 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 I have been in seasons of suffering. I have been in seasons of pain. I, I've, I've experienced things like that. But it's not constant in my life. It's not something that I wake up every day and it's suffering. So I'm not, I'm not preaching from a point of, oh, I'm suffering and I need to make sure everybody else is suffering. But here's what I know about life. It's coming and there's seasons where I cannot avoid it. There's nothing I can do to avoid it because my body's getting older and guess what comes with getting older? Pain. People around me are getting older and, and when, we, when we grow older, when our family grows, guess what we experience? We experience loss and death. When, we, when the, the church, the church in, a, in our country, as popular as the church has been over, over the last hundred years, it's not as popular as it today. I can, I can see a, a season going into where it looks different. So I'm, I'm not a negative person, but I do want to let you know that, that we all experience it. There's no one in the room that hasn't experienced some, some type of suffering. It's something that we all, we all have in common. There's no person on the face of the earth that can avoid it. You may be able to run to a country and not pay taxes. You may be able to go somewhere else and hide out and not have to do what everybody else does. But at some point in time, you will experience suffering. It's a part of life. The problem that I've started to figure out is it's not, it's not the suffering that's actually the problem. It's our unrealistic expectations about the whole circumstance. Because this is the lie we've been sold. If you accept Christ as your savior... And you, and you do a couple right things, then you can avoid suffering. Even, even our culture tells us, forget about accepting Christ. If you do the right things, you can avoid suffering. If you, if you use the right language, if you hang out with the right people, if you, if you have a life that looks successful, then, it, then it's all this idea. If you, if you do self-care, if, you're, if you stay healthy, you can avoid suffering. We're, we're totally averse to it. It's, it's everything you look at is how, it is how to avoid the whole thing. We have unrealistic expectations about suffering. Everybody on the planet is going to experience it. Nobody can get around it. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I've said, this is words from Jesus. I've said things, these things to you that you may have peace in the world. For in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's saying it. You're going to have trouble. First Peter, who talks a lot about suffering, chapter 3, verse, verse 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Here's a question. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. 
Oh, there's that conscience word. We're going to hold on to that for a second. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, so Peter is saying, hey, listen, even if you're suffering, it's important to do the right thing. You can't avoid this. But even if you're in the middle of it, you still do the right thing. James chapter one, verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He didn't say if, he said when. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We try to avoid it at all costs. The gospel, the modern day gospel has has been twisted to the place where if you believe this and do this, then you can avoid the suffering. And what it really causes is it causes extra pain in our lives when we do that. Because, because we have unrealistic expectations about what we experience on this earth. Because we have those unrealistic expectations, when suffering does come, now we've got a crisis. Because on top of the suffering, now we're doubting God. God, I didn't think you'd let this happen to me. I didn't think you were supposed to be a good God. You were supposed to be great. You were supposed to be faithful. You were supposed to be always with me, always present, never leave me nor forsake me. And now I'm in the middle of this thing. How did this happen? How did I get sick? How did I get alone? How did I get in pain? How did I, how did I get a divorce? How did all this happen to me? I believed in you. We, we get in this unrealistic, so now we're suffering and we have a faith crisis. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's a bad place to be. That's a bad place to be because everybody, everybody experiences suffering, but you don't have to experience a crisis in faith. That is not, that is not a guarantee. That's something that we, that we can avoid. That's something that we can work on. That's something that, that is our choice. David had a group of guys in the in the cave that I think had a certain mentality that wasn't helping him in the moment. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave and Saul went to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you the enemy into your hand and you shall do to him and it shall, as it seems good to you. There's an issue in our culture today with the idea of being a victim. And I want to I want to give you a warning a little bit about that, because there are no victims at the cross, none. Jesus wasn't a victim. If you and I go to the foot of the cross, we're not victims. We've been invited to this thing. We've been we've been made we've been made sons and daughters. We've been made heirs to to what Christ has for us. We've been we've been bought with a price. We've been brought into this thing. There's no victims in the kingdom. There's nobody, there's nobody coming to Jesus with a that, that can that can justify a victim mentality. Well, Lord, I'm in this cave now and I don't know what to do. And here's my here's the only opportunity I have. 
Here's the only thing I can do. See, see, when you're a victim, your options get limited. When you're a victim, it goes from having five options to no options. Well, I'm just, you know, this happened to me. What am I supposed to do? And we, be, we start reacting to everything. We become reactionary instead of, instead of proactive. What's proactive? He is in control. He knows what I need before I even ask. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or imagine. That's proactive faith. That's in, even in my difficult circumstance, I know he's able. That's proactive. A victim mentality is over what we just talked about. I don't know why it happened to me. I don't know what I did. I don't know. How could God let this happen? I think David's men were dealing with a little bit of victim mentality. They were looking at David going, man, this is your, this is your option. They didn't present him with two or three options. They didn't say, well, they didn't say, they just said, hey man, we think that this is the best thing to do. Just get it, just. Problem with victimhood is it typically causes you more pain than you're already in. I have a feeling that if David had killed Saul in that moment, it would have caused him more suffering than what he was already in because it would not have been God's will for his life. God had a plan worked out for David and this was a moment not for David to be a victim but for, uh, for him to be a man full of faith. Think about this for a second. Think about how many, how many times we try to end our suffering in the wrong way and it ends up causing us more suffering. We try to end our difficulties in, an un, in, in a way that God wouldn't approve of. Sometimes even sinful and it ends up causing us more pain. I don't think it's God's will for us to get a divorce. I think it's God's will till death do us part. To let what, what God has joined together. I think, but we live in a culture where outside of the church, 50% of people, it's just, I want to end the pain. How do I end the pain? I end the pain by just ending the relationship. And then, and then what does that typically cause for families? It typically causes more pain. It typically causes more pain. And we just, we just grow to accept it. How do we, we have Jack and Sheila Harper here every year from Save One. Abortion recovery ministry. Get an unwanted pregnancy. Afraid of suffering, afraid of what's going to happen. And, and what do we do? We, we do something that causes more pain and more suffering. How do we, we deal when we're, when we're in the, with the pain in our own bodies? How, are, how did our culture deal with it? We dealt with it with opioids, which is cause more pain exponentially than the regular pain we have. Every time, every time we try to fix suffering outside of the way God would fix it, it causes more pain in our lives. It just does. It ends up being a cycle. So when you're a victim and you find no way out and this is all I can do, my warning to you is get ready. You could be causing yourself more pain. 
I made a little list here. I said a couple of them. Divorce, vengeance, hate. Hate always causes more pain. Abortion causes more pain. Addiction causes more pain. Suicide causes more pain. You know what the suicide rate in the United States is through the roof right now. And everybody in the building knows it causes more pain. The very thing that we're trying to do to relieve pain ends up spreading it exponentially to all the people around us. So this is the part of the story that impressed me about David. Can I just be transparent with you a little bit? Suffering has the potential to make you crazy. It does. I don't want anybody in the building watching online, watching from a podcast to get the idea that I'm like, oh, suffering's easy. You just have a little faith. You just, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. Just forget about it. I'm not saying that. Suffering has a potential to make you absolutely crazy. Some of you sitting here this morning, listening online, have experienced pain in your body for years. You don't know what to do. Some of you experienced pain in relationships for as long as you can look back. Some of you have experienced pain in your family for as long as you can look back. You're like, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can keep doing it. David was being chased down on a regular basis. To, so an out of control rampaging king who was demon possessed was trying to kill him. Matter of fact, he was in a town just before this in a town called Nob and he killed 85 priests because they helped David. Can you imagine that? Saul is off his rocker. He is nuts and he's chasing David down and there's nothing about this is easy. There's nothing about this that you just go, oh, it's another day at work. There's nothing about this that's good. Nothing about it that's easy. Nothing about it that's pleasant. Nothing about it that's simple. But we all find ourselves in this spot at some point in time. I don't have any other answers. I don't have any other way out. So I've got a choice. I could just sit down and be a victim and wallow in it. Or, or I could do this little thing. I'm, 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 I'm going to call it suffering with a conscience. Suffering with a conscience. There's this little moment in the cave. Saul is as vulnerable as anybody could possibly be. David goes up and cuts his robe off, cuts the bottom of his robe. All of a sudden. Anybody in the room still close enough to Jesus to know immediately when you sin? Just check it. You know that thing. You know that thing. You said it and you shouldn't have. You thought it and you shouldn't have. You did it and you shouldn't have. And you're close enough to God. There's enough Holy Spirit in you today to go, oh, man, that was a mistake. David has that moment. As soon as he cuts the, I'm acting like he had scissors. He probably didn't have scissors. As soon as he cuts the thing off of Saul's robe, it's like he's stricken. It says in his heart, he knew it was wrong. And so my mind goes to, whoa, 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 wait a second. Wait a second, this is a different response than all of his other men in the cave. There's something about David that's different than anyone else in the cave. We know the guy, he's cutting the robe. We know he's possessed. We know he's crazy. We know he's slaughtered 85 priests. He's nuts. 
We know that all the men in the back of the cave are like, get him, get him, get him. This is your chance. Stop. We're not, we're, we're, we're back here suffering and victim. Get him. David's the only one in the cave going, ooh, that was wrong. That was wrong. You know what my fear is, church? Is that we're living in a culture where those moments are fading. Those moments are fading. Where, where is a culture we can just do wrong things and wake up and there's no check? There's no, there's no, there's nothing. It, it doesn't even feel bad. It's just like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, that's what it is. The, the, the farther we go along as a society, the worse this gets. Come on, I don't have to, I don't have to explain it to you. There's things on, I know, I sound like an old, I sound like an old man. There's things on TV now that would have made me blush 10 years ago. We didn't even blink. There's things you hear on the news now that would devastate us 20 years ago. It would be devastating to hear them. We don't even blink. It would have shocked us to the point of, of causing us to pray about it. Now it's like, oh, that's what it is. My fear is as a, as a culture and even as a church, a big C church, is as a, as a church, the church is moving towards a place where we could do the wrong thing and there's not, we could just walk back in the cave and go, yeah, I did it. What? David has this moment where he goes, oh, I just did something wrong. Now, this will be extremely important later on because I'm going to do another sermon in, in a couple of weeks that's going to, that we're going to see a different side of David. So remember this side of him and remember how he got here because it'll be important in a couple of weeks. But in this moment, in this cave, he has enough relationship with God in him that when he does something wrong, the alarm goes off. This was wrong. This was not the right thing to do. And as a follower of Christ, we've got to figure that out for ourselves. Am I close enough to him? Am I, do I have enough of the Holy Spirit in me that it checks me when I do something wrong? Or can I just keep doing it and it not bother me at all? When we get into suffering, we can justify a lot of crazy stuff. Remember the victimhood mentality. Well, you can't blame me, I'm suffering. You can't blame me. I'm in pain. You can't blame me. Look at what happened to me. No, but here's David in the middle of all this stuff. And he's going, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. Here's what I figured out. Here's what I figured out. God's standard for my life doesn't change because I'm in pain. It just doesn't. The father didn't lower the standards for Jesus because he was climbing on the cross. Jesus was climbing on the cross because of the standard. There wasn't, God wasn't saying, oh man, you're suffering. Like, I hate to see that. No, no, no. It was the process. It was what had to happen. And so we started this thing off saying, listen, we're going to walk through it. It's a result of sin in the human, in the human kind. It's the result of all that stuff. Nobody can avoid it. So as the church, if we know up front, all of us are going to deal with it. If we know up front, all of us are going to walk through it. Then it behooves us to go, what kind of person do I want to be in the middle of it? Is there enough of the Holy Spirit in me that I can suffer with a conscience? That I can still do the right thing even if the pain is unbelievable? 
verse 5 of chapter 24, and afterward David's heart struck him. David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Hmm. Can I say this? this to you this morning, conscience does not grow out of thin air. You just don't wake up with a conscience. It's something you have to work on. It's something, it's something you have, your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit in you is our conscience. Our view of and proximity to God will determine our conscience during suffering. Did you hear that? Our view of God, is he for me, even though I'm in pain? Is he with me, even though I'm in pain? Is he, is, he, is he working on my behalf, even though it just doesn't look like it's working out? Is my view of him correct? Then is my proximity to him correct? Am I, am I saying, God, I believe you can do this, but you're not. No, 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 no. I believe you can do this and I'm gonna worship you even through the difficulty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you praise even through the, even through the suffering, the pain, the, the loss. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you what you still deserve. Our view of him, our proximity to him dictates the conscience we have, whether we can tell right or wrong. Now listen to this. Most of you probably know that David wrote a whole lot of the Psalms. And Psalm 57 correlates to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, Psalm 57, now remember, David is being chased down. Saul's trying to murder him. He's hiding in a cave. Saul comes in there to relieve himself. David cuts off a piece of his, this whole interaction. David writes Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me for in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. What is he saying? The cave is not what's protecting me. You are. My view of you is still strong. You are my, you're my protection. You're the one until this storm of destruction passes for me. You're the one my hope is in. Verse two, I cry out to God most high, the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I, I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's saying, I'm in the middle of this thing, but God is my refuge. Now watch, how, watch this, what happens. Verse five, he changes. Be exalted, O God. Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. They set a snare for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory, awake, oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now do you see? Psalm 57 is a reflection of the relationship David had already established with God. 
So when he got into the suffering, he wasn't trying to conjure up some some conscience. He wasn't trying to conjure up a relationship. He was going, no, 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 no. Even in the midst of all this, God is still faithful. Even in the midst of all this, I'll get up early in the morning and worship him. Even in the midst of all this, his love is, is all over the earth. Even in the midst of all this, this cave doesn't save me, but he does. He already established it. It wasn't a question in the suffering. It was a. It was like a reformation. I'm. I'm. You may think it looks like this, but I'm telling you, this is what it looks like inside. This is what's happening with David. It's solidifying who he is. It's not an argument about whether God's faithful. It's a, I know he's faithful. And in that moment, when he could have done the opposite of God's will, his relationship with God checked him. And he went, how can I do this? How can I do this? And this comes the last point. This comes the last point. And this may be the most difficult thing. And you may not want to carry this mantle, but I'm going to, I'm going to make an observation here that may sound, may sound difficult. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. David does something that is extremely important. David has men following him and it's a, it's, it's hundreds of men following him. Verse six, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointing to put my hand out against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointing. So David persuaded his men with these words that did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave. Hmm. You don't get a choice whether we suffer or not. And you also don't get a choice about being a teacher. Now, I know the majority of the people in this room didn't go to school to be teachers, didn't sign up to be a teacher. Maybe some of you, the last thing you ever want to do is be a teacher. Maybe you're thinking, man, putting, putting me in a room full of seven-year-olds? <laughs> Every single person within the sound of my voice is teaching somebody. If you're married, you're teaching your spouse. If you got kids, you're teaching your kids. If, you're, if you work somewhere, you're teaching the people that you're, you, you, may not, you may not walk in one day and say, hey, everybody line up, we're gonna have a lesson. You may not be doing that, but you're teaching people. David had a suffering conscience that allowed him to, to understand the will of God in this moment. He, yes, he did cut the edge of Saul's robe off, but he said, whoa, this, he was struck. His heart was struck, like, I shouldn't be doing this. And he didn't just stand up and go, Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Thank you very much. And, um, and we'll have a great day. Uh, thanks. And then walk to the back of the cave and go, yeah, we're just gonna forget this ever happened. That's not what he did. He didn't ignore it. He walked back into the cave and said, we should not be doing this. We should not be doing this. This is not how we respond. This was not God's will for us. I know you, I know you said it was, but I need to teach you something. This is not the will of God right now. And it says he taught them, he convinced them that they shouldn't go out there and kill him. 
Here's the picture. David is stricken in his heart. His, the, the conscience that he has from a relationship with God has told him it's the wrong thing. He walks back into the cave and you can hear the conversation in the cave. Or you've got to be kidding me. He is right out there. Now, if he didn't have to, if, if, if everybody was said, okay, yeah, that's fine. It says he had to convince him. There was some, he had to teach him something in that moment. So I need you to understand this. I'm not trying to heap more responsibility on you, but when the church suffers, everybody watches. When the Christian suffers, everybody's watching to see how we do it. Because they hurt us when it was going well. They heard us over here going, oh man, God's so faithful. God's so faithful, man. I got a raise at work. God's so faithful. My wife loves me. God's so faithful. My kid made the soccer team. God's so faithful. My kid got straight A's. God's so faithful. God's so faithful. Look at this. God's so faithful. My grandkids. God's so faithful. God's so faithful. And that's what they hear from us. God's so faithful. God's so faithful. God's so faithful. And then calamity hits and then the suffering comes and then the pain comes and they're going, what What was that? I remember, I remember when you were getting raises, you said God was faithful. But now it's kind of quiet. So what I started realizing in my life that the lessons aren't stopping, the teaching isn't stopping. I'm teaching my kids how to suffer. I'm teaching my kids what a suffering conscience looks like. I'm teaching them, is it okay when you're in pain? Is it okay to do the wrong thing? Because after all, I'm a victim. I'm teaching them every moment. And we're teaching our culture. We're the ones that are going, hey, listen, We're going to embrace this suffering because nobody can escape it. But here's the deal. My house, my car, my job, none of these possessions. David said, this cave is not my protection. He is. And I'm going to exalt him even in the middle of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you today. I know this has been a little heavy, but I know, I know in a crowd this size, there's people, people online. Listen, I know there's some of you that are walking through suffering that are going, I don't know. I need you to know God is with you. He's for you. Nothing has changed. His love, David said, nothing's changed, man. His love is, his love is there. It's, it's there. His faithfulness hasn't changed. And my plea to you this morning is to lean in to him, lean into him. Don't, don't make that proximity farther away. You lean in, you lean in. You lean in because here's the one thing we all have in common. Everyone suffers. And when people outside of the church suffer, they need to be able to look in and see people suffering with hope, with a future that we don't grieve like those with no hope. When they look into us, they need to see a lesson in grace. They need to see a lesson in in still doing the right thing. They need to see a lesson of, of a suffering conscience. They need to see it. God has given us the grace and mercy to be able to give it to the world. Paul would say the famous line when when he was, when he got sick, he got sick. That's all there is to it. He just got sick. We don't really know what it was, but it was was bad. It was enough to, he prayed about it. Now this is a guy who had raised raised somebody from the dead. He had done a bunch of miracles and, and he's praying to God, God, take it from me. Just take it from me. God said, Paul, in this 
season of your life, I'm going to give you enough grace to suffer. I'm going to give you enough grace to suffer. And what did Paul do? He taught us all how to do it. He taught us all how to do it. So I'm, I'm imploring you today, if you're suffering, lean in. Lean in. God's going to teach you. God's going to use you to teach somebody how to do it. Lean into it. Lean into his grace, lean into his mercy, lean into his faithfulness, lean into the church, lean in because he's gonna use you to teach somebody else that doesn't know it. He's gonna use this moment in your life to show somebody else what grace looks like in the middle, to show somebody else what a conscience looks like when you could have done the wrong thing, but you chose not to because of your proximity to him. Come on, stand to your feet, the band's, the band's gonna play. Whatever it is that you're walking through right now, I just want you to lean that into him and say, God, teach me. Teach me how to teach others in this. Let your presence be real enough in this season of my life that I can teach somebody else of what your grace looks like, of what your faithfulness looks like, of what your love looks like in this circumstance. He has not left you, not for a moment. And he is faithful to walk you all the way through this thing. Whatever the end of it looks like, he's faithful to walk you through the end. God, teach us today how to do this. Teach us how to do it, Lord. Let your presence be real enough in our lives that we can be example to other people. Lord, it's the one thing we all have in common. Help us to show people how to do it victoriously.